0: Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse Athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz 5! Five. 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 Fizz 5 is back amidst the wonderfully hectic time for Syracuse Athletics hello everybody your favorite duo is back alongside Ethan Frank I'm Liam Griffin Ethan it's so good to be back behind the mic talking SU athletics with you
1: Yeah Liam there, there's nothing more I'd rather be doing here on a on a close to summer morning than talking Syracuse with you it, it's been a busy few weeks I mean you know, things have been changing here at the Fizz. You know, we've seen some seniors go goodbye. We've got our juniors running things now. We've got some new staff members. But it's been a hectic hectic time of content and a whole lot to talk about today.
0: And a quick congratulations to our editor-in-chief, D.A., on having his firstborn kid. Congratulations. With that, let's get right into topic number one. Number one. After Jim Behan's retirement, the most pressing question of the offseason has been... What on God's green one is Judah Mintz going to do? Bot drafts had him going in the second round or undrafted, but May 31st, we get that fateful tweet. I want to say it was around 9 p.m. Judah Mintz coming back to Syracuse for year two. Ethan, before we get into the nuts and bolts here, this is a fantastic sign for SU fans and really for college basketball.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Everything that had been said about Judah in the whole draft process was that he was all in on the draft. But it seemed to me reading between the lines is that his shooting his specifically his outside shooting was so much of a concern of how it would translate to the next level that, you know, there were no promises made to Judah about where he would go in the draft. And he decided, you know what? Maybe what's best for me is to take myself out of what is a very good 2023 draft class and test my chances of improving at school, making NIL money, and having that shot of going in the first round in 2024, which is a much weaker class. So, that to me is what seems like it happened. But if you're a Syracuse fan, this is awesome. I mean, you. To me, it, it feels like when Tyus Battle decided to come back for his junior year after Syracuse in his sophomore year went to the Sweet 16 after being a first four team. But for for Judah to come back, I've said it before. I've written it on the fizz. I'll say it again. He, since Syracuse joined the ACC, he is a top three most exciting player or most exciting player in this program. I would say Tyler Ennis, Tyus Battle, and then Judah Mintz would be the third, all all guards but all very explosive, had their own different skill sets of what they're they're good at. Ennis was a true point guard, a facilitator who could do a lot of different things. Battle was your true wing score, a big time mid-range jump shot player. And, and then Mintz is, is that slasher, guy who gets to the basket better than really a lot of other guys in college basketball and definitely in the ECC has a knack for getting to the foul line. So if you're someone who likes watching Judah Mintz, this is awesome. And this is a great sign for Syracuse Use. but there are still a whole lot of questions of how he fits into the roster what Adrian Autry is going to do with him what is his focus on and and that remains to be seen
0: yeah you kind of segwayed into the point I was going to bring up where you have this roster or rather a lack of roster clarity outside of J.J. Starling who has a similar play style to Mintz because he is a slasher that can get to the basket but his outside game isn't exactly that of Stephen Curry, neither is that of Judah Mintz. But the other thing with Mintz is, yes, he's an excellent slasher, but too many times late in games last year, Ethan, we saw him play too much hero ball. Miami and North Carolina are the two instances that come to mind.
1: But, well, that kind, of, that kind of stuff doesn't concern me as much. It's more of the lack of shooting in the backcourt. I right?
0: agree that the lack of shooting is a bigger concern, but it's definitely something to be wary of, especially when we get to – conference play heck even early on that Maui schedule is going to be tough my friend
1: Well, you need a player like Judah who's gone through experiences like this to be ready for that moment. And that's what he's going to be tasked with. He's going to be tasked with being a leader and Judah Mintz is going to have to prove to himself, to his coaches, to his teammates, to NBA scouts, that even as just a sophomore, he is one of the longest tenured players on this team and a guy that a lot of his teammates will look up to in big moments like that because he's been through it before. And the failures of last season will turn into good moments this season, I believe. And
0: what I'll add to that is, outside of Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling, this roster is full of unproven commodities, Ethan. Chris Bell, Benny Williams, Malik Brown, Naheem McLeod, Quadier Copeland, Chance Westry. The list goes on and on. Yeah, you could have you made have another no, five
1: players there. Yeah,
0: You have no clue what you are going to get out of any of those guys. If you want to add... Kyle Tough, William Patterson to the list. Ethan, it's a unproven is the only word that fits all eleven of those other guys, other than Minton Starling that could potentially see rotation time this year. And while that eleven is a large number, can be seen as a good problem to have.
1: Yeah, if the people, p- the potential the potential is really really high. It absolutely team. is. But the floor is also very, very low because you don't know what you're going to get out of any of these guys. What are the improvements going to be made in the offseason? Are we going to see Benny Williams play like he did against Wake Forest in the ACC tournament on a consistent basis? If so, he'll be playing 25, 30, 35 minutes a game because, you know, believe it or not, Benny Williams is the most experienced player on this Syracuse team. That so pretty, is hard, that is hard to as believe. A, as a junior, Benny Williams will be the most experienced player Syracuse player on this team. What is Chris Bell improvement? His defense was atrocious last season. His rebounding was atrocious last season. Can he be more than just a scorer? Justin Taylor Can he be more than the, just a shooter? Right. Justin Taylor, very up in town. Quadier Copeland, I, I mean, I'd like to label myself as a, the principal owner of property on Quadier Copeland Island. I, I'm a, I'm as big of a Quadier Copeland fan as there is. You you had a big reaction to that. Would you Would you say you're well, man,
0: You're talking to the guy who wrote the Why Isn't Quadier Copeland Playing More article back in January. That's true. But
1: yeah, I, would, I mean, we're, I would like we're to both, okay. we're bo- we're I both would, Quadier Copeland I guys. I would just like
0: to claim majority ownership.
1: Not fair. Uh, okay. Uh, we'll, we'll have to go to, go to court over who has majority ma- majority ownership of that. But I, I think Quadir Copeland's going to get a shot at a bunch of different positions because if this team is playing more man-to-man defense, something we'll talk about a little bit later, then Quadir Copeland is a very versatile piece who can fill a lot of different roles. And the center position as well is going to be a huge, huge question mark. But Judamin's coming back Answers a lot of questions in terms of leadership and in terms of talent. Rotations will figure themselves out, but having someone like Mince there, who's been through an ACC schedule before and is the most talented player on the roster, I'd say based on the season he had last far? year, even more than JJ Starling, despite the fact that Starling was was a higher rated recruit than him. Mince has shown that he is, you know, a more talented, well rounded player. Having someone like that on the roster is great for a young team and and a first-year head coach. The
0: thought I will end with before we move on is that this team's ceiling just skyrocketed as a result of Mint's returning. You absolutely cannot label this as an NCAA tournament or bust-type season considering the struggles of the last two years and the fact that you have a first-year head coach running the ship this year. But don't be surprised if this team does make the NCAA tournament. I saw... One of our loyal readers got in our comments section on Twitter, said, final four time, baby, after Mince came back. I don't know if we can quite put it that far, but this team, this program, just got a heck of a lot more fun to watch.
1: It did, and I could not be more excited to cover this team next season because just because of all the different storylines, the coaching storylines, the recruiting, the rotation, Judah Mintz's journey to to the NBA. I, I would have to venture his second season will be his final season with Syracuse, and That'll you look at some honest. other and you look at some other Syracuse players who who have been you know played for two years and then departed. You think of a guy like Jeremy Grant and the career he's carved out in the NBA, and Jeremy Grant played. Some minutes his freshman year, and then his sophomore year, he really exploded. You look at a guy like Tyler Lydon. The questions for me with Mints are, is Judah Mintz coming back and his focus is going to be, how can I prove to NBA scouts I can shoot and I can do the things they want of me? Or is it going to be focused on winning and making the team better? Because Tyler Lydon came back for his sophomore year and all he wanted to do was shoot threes, bulked up, and, and ended up having a worse sophomore year than he did freshman year. And Syracuse was not as good of a team as in his sophomore year as his freshman year because of what he was focused on. Same thing with O'Shea Brissett. His sophomore year after having a great freshman year, a team that went to the Sweet 16, comes back his sophomore year and is not doing the same things he did as a freshman. He's not attacking the basket as much. He's shooting more threes because that's what it takes. That's what NBA scouts and executives want to see. So what is Judah Mintz focus on? Himself and his NBA goals or helping this team win? It remains to be seen.
0: question is, can he find that happy medium? Unfortunately, we have to wait almost exactly five months to find out that answer when Syracuse takes on the pride of New Hampshire, the Wildcats of UNH. With that, let's move on to topic number two. Number two. Recruiting for SU has finally started to jumpstart, for the lack of a better word, Ethan. Elijah Moore signed and sealed. Donnie Freeman Signed and sealed for the class of well, well,
1: you can't say it's signed and sealed. Not not <laughs> until the national uh, uh, and letter of intent.
0: Uh, ver, verbally committed. Yes, verbally now, committed. And then yesterday, Syracuse made the top seven for four-star power forward Caleb Williams. Ethan, the first thing that stuck out to me when diving into this was the competition for this kid is stiff. In addition to Syracuse, who already, like we said, has two solid recruits in that class. Nova, Michigan, Indiana, Georgetown, Virginia, and Miami. All programs who have been historical powers, like a Georgetown or a Michigan or an Indiana. And then you have Nova, Virginia, and Miami, three programs who weren't necessarily in that blue blood era that Duke used to dominate in the 90s, but have come on as three of the best modern programs in college basketball. So, Ethan, if the Orange can... Somehow, some way, pull pull Williams into their grasp. It sh- it proves to me that what our editor in chief Damon Amendola wrote a few weeks ago might be entirely true. Adrian Autry has sort of cleaned up the cobwebs from SE basketball, and now it's showing in recruiting results.
1: Well, the first thing that came to my mind is is Caleb Williams transferring to U from USC to play quarterback for Syracuse. That would really be awesome. I wish. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. But no, in all seriousness, there's a few things with Caleb Williams. One, where is he from? Washington DC. We know the DMV area is a place that Syracuse, Adrian Autry, Brendan Strun and all the assistant coaches want to recruit really hard. That's where Donnie Freeman's from. That's where Judah Mintz is from. That's where Benny Williams is from. That's where Justin Taylor is from. There are a lot of guys from that area who Syracuse is going after. Second thing, when Donnie Freeman committed, he told people, he was asked who are guys you're recruiting to come to Syracuse. Caleb Williams was one of them. He's the hundredth rated player in the 24, seven sports composite rankings, a four star and just another wing player listed as six, seven So he's a big guy. He can play a lot of different roles. And if you're Syracuse building out this 2024 class is going to be really, really important because you expect that there will be a lot of turnover from this year's roster, whether it will be guys going to the NBA or guys, you know, entering the transfer portal and no, you know, no one is going to be out of eligibility after this season because of the way Syracuse's roster is formatted, there will likely be some turnover. So getting new guys in and and these are Autry guys. These are not Beheim guys. These are Autry recruits. So getting guys in and showcasing that new wave recruiting strategy is really, really important. And if you look at it right now, Syracuse has a top 10 recruiting class in the class of 2024, just pulling it up. They are 10th at the moment. That's in in the 2024-24-7 sports rankings. And and you look at some of the teams in front of them. North Carolina, Arizona, Baylor, Duke, NC State, Georgetown, um, among others. Yeah, among others. Syracuse has competition in front of them. But if the Orange continue to get recruits, then this is a class that could end up really, really, really high. And you know, I'm going to go and do a little research and see what happens. If you add Caleb Williams to this, where do the Orange move up in this class?
0: I mean, Ethan, this is, it's interesting to me that this is sort of falling a few years after Jim Beheim's self-proclaimed best recruiting class ever when we're talking about the class of 2022. So far, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. That class has not lived up to those expectations. But you add a guy like Caleb Williams into the mix... I don't want to say that already trumps what... You the- re- ready for this? Yeah, if go for Kayla
1: it. Caleb Williams committed to Syracuse, the Orange would then have the second-rated recruiting class in the country behind only North Carolina.
0: That's not bad. So you look at the class of 22, what behind proclaimed as the best recruiting class in program history, unless I'm mistaken, you had only two four-stars in Judy Mintz and Chris Bell. The rest were three stars. Am I correct? Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Judah it was, was four the stars. Four stars were Mints, Bell, and Taylor. Taylor was a four-star as well. Yeah, I can double-check on that. Go ahead. I'll I'll double-check. I
0: thought Taylor was a three-star, but point aside, if you add in Caleb Williams to that class, sorry, Jim Boeheim, it only took one year after you left the program to trump the best recruiting class in program history. I don't know how much of that can be labeled.
1: Yes, Taylor was a four-star. Three four-stars, three three three-stars.
0: That aside... Sorry, Beheim. It only took you one year after you left to trump what was your best recruiting class
1: in forty-seven years on the job. It, it, this, Ethan, this, okay. is, uh, it was not. It's uh, it, that was a Beheim proclamation. Uh, Numbers I, obviously it's not the best recruiting class he's ever I'm,
0: had. I'm sure, but either way, this is starting starting to give me the signs that this truly is Adrian Altry's program now. Never did we see Jim Beheim. Make a huge effort to go after the DMB the way that Autry and Brendan Strong are currently doing. And to be honest, it's fantastic for recruiting because the DMB has produced some really good basketball recruits over the years. The high school basketball there is among the best in the country.
1: And you got a lot of great AAU programs down there as well. It, it is it is a area that Syracuse has to target and they have continued to target. And even if they don't get Caleb Williams, because the competition has been very, very stiff. The orange are after a lot of other guys as well. A, a guy that specifically comes to mind who Syracuse has been connected with, Jaleel Bethay, I believe it, I believe is how you say his name, if I said it incorrectly then I apologize, but he has rocketed up the 24-7 sports rankings as well. Now 29th, used to be in the 60s or 70s, approaching five-star status. He's from Pennsylvania. So you really see Syracuse targeting the East Coast. Boogie Fland is another guy. Syracuse was hoping to get in the building for a visit back in January. That didn't end up happening. He's a top-10 player. I would not expect him. A guy that Syracuse that has had its eye on, along with Caleb Williams, in the D.M.V. area is Patrick Ngangba, but his recruit recruitment has taken storm. He's now a top fifty player. Has gotten offers from Duke and Connecticut. So these are two of the teams that are at the top of college basketball. Syracuse is targeting guys. That's recruitments are starting to take off. The Orange got to go f- start to find more diamonds in the rough. Williams might be the start of that.
0: I mean, you look at Patrick Nganga, UConn, Duke, Georgetown, Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, Providence. Virginia, Kansas. Uh, <laughs> the, the competition is pretty competitive. The competition for this guy is stiff, and that's to be expected when you're going after these big name players. But if you want to solidify that class, you're going to need to have some moves. You're going to need to get shifty. And is Caleb Williams a player that you are willing to pull out all the stops for to go after? Only time will tell. We fit on the gridiron, excuse me, we fit on the hardwood for our first two topics. Let's head to the gridiron for topic number three. Number three. Ethan, I know you are very passionate about this, so I will let you have the first word on it. Is Dino Babers on the hot seat this year?
1: I don't see how he can't be if Syracuse doesn't equal or better its season from last year. I understand the schedule is very difficult. And and this is a team that lost a lot of talent, especially in the secondary on defense and along the offensive line. I have a hard time believing that if Syracuse does not eat, go to a bowl game, that Dino Babers will be the head coach after this season. I, I just have art. I, I guess, you know, maybe I shouldn't have a hard time believing that because <laughs> everything we've seen from, from John Wildtack is to continue giving Dino Babers chances. But, I don't understand how if Syracuse does not have a better year than last year or equal to last year that they can bring Dino Babers back because we're going to talk about recruiting in a little bit. This 2023 recruiting class is terrible. Uh, it, it is not an ACC re- recruiting class. And 2024 isn't 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 looking much better, and we'll get to that in a little bit. The The 2023 recruiting class, the overall rank when you combine high school and transfers is 73. 73rd in the country. That's unacceptable. That's terrible. The the Syracuse's highest rated recruit is 899th in the country in 2023. That can't happen. That can't happen. And and yeah, go ahead. So
0: let's talk about last season for a second. You start out six and zero, come capped off by a win over number fifteen NC State in a base home game the program has seen in north of twenty years. The world is about as high as it could be for Dino. You think there is no chance this guy is on the hot seat next year? You don't. You don't start six zero and finish one and six and somehow not end up on the hot seat because.
1: I mean, they year, they, sh- they really shouldn't have started. Let's be honest, they shouldn't have started. 6-0. No, they shouldn't have started. They, 6-0. they got they got a gift win from Purdue and NC State was playing with a backup quarterback. I, so,
0: they got. They got I think they got lucky against Virginia too, Ethan. So Yes, they did. So that whole thing wraps up to my head as how do you lose the control over the locker room so badly to the point where you're playing undisciplined football? Elijah Fuentes Cundiff against Clemson. I mean, this is
1: undisciplined football has been a staple of Dino Babers since he became the head and coach.
0: Carlos Del Rio Wilson taking a safety to end the fifth game. That is terrible. Losing thirty-eight to three. On senior day. I understand Florida State is going to compete for the College Football playoff this year, but you don't get embarrassed in your own building like that, especially on senior day. That was a that was an inexcusable performance that was embarrassing to the veterans on this team that were playing in their final game at the dome and to the fans. That that cannot happen. And like you mentioned, Ethan, recruiting has been a disaster. Syracuse is behind multiple group of five teams in the rankings and it's head-scratching because you think about what the program was way back when, how it would ever fall behind such mediocre programs. But here we are. And, Ethan, you said the schedule is tough this year. I think the contrary. With the exception of that Clemson-North Carolina-Florida State stretch at the end of September and beginning of October, this schedule doesn't exactly inspire a ton of fear in me. But with that in mind...
1: Okay, how many... Like, oh, Okay, you think Would this team's be- going
0: to get the six wins? Because I don't. The You bring up an interesting point. The quote-unquote toss-up games are the games you need to win if you're going to make a bowl game. Boston College, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Wake. Hey, all of them are in November. And then you have at Purdue on the road in September. That's another game that could go a long way towards determining bowl eligibility. And it's no secret, Dino Babers, not good on the road unless you're playing UConn. Not good in November.
1: No, I mean I under I know Jeff Braum is no longer the coach at Purdue, but I I have a hard time seeing Syracuse going on the road and winning in West Lafayette in that's, the third that, in week in week three. That's going to be a tough game. Uh, Pitt under Pat Narduzzi is always very well coached. They, the Syracuse it's been a I don't I can't remember the last time that Syracuse beat Pitt. It, that that game
0: that game by the way being played at Yankee Stadium.
1: Right at Yankee Stadium. So. So you lose a home game and Syracuse is yeah. a good home team. We'll, we'll see what ha- Syracuse mm. played at Yankee Stadium in December and it didn't go very well. No. I, With the lack of talent, especially on the offensive line, I, I just have a hard time. I mean, Dave Clawson's a terrific coach at Wake Forest. I have a hard time seeing Syracuse beating Wake Forest. And then going to Georgia Tech, we'll see. But I just don't see it. I, I see like four wins. I see – I see Colgate, I see Western Michigan, I see Army, I see BC, and that's that's really it at the moment.
0: If I think this, I think the ceiling for this team is six wins. Another game that another game we didn't mention, Virginia Tech. I think that's another game that you absolutely, under every circumstance, have to win because the Okies
1: Thursday night game at in Blacksburg. That's tough, dude. That you,
0: that you will be present at, by the way. Yes, I will. So, I think. That's a game you absolutely have to win. I know it's going to be a tough environment, but the Hokies aren't world beaters. You beat them at Lane Stadium two years ago. Who's to say you can't do it again? So, And you beat them with Sterling Gilbert as your offensive coordinator, which which in itself is an impressive feat. So I, I agree, with. but overall, I do agree with you, Ethan. I think if the Orange do not make a bowl game this calendar year, there's zero excuse to keep Dino Babers as the head coach in 2024. You can't you can't justify it unless you don't want to pay the buyout.
1: Yeah, I don't know what his contract is left after this season, but but we'll see. Uh, there's not really much else to, but it. it's bowl or bust for Dino.
0: Couldn't have phrased it any better myself. Topic number four. Number four. Earlier this week, The Athletic wrote an article centering itself around Jim Beheim and his famed two-three zone defense, wondering if it was outdated now that Beheim has retired. Ethan, I'm just going to get right to the point here. Yes, the 2-3 zone is outdated, and we saw it down the stretch last season. It doesn't take a lot to beat his 2-3 zone. You need a two or three good three-point shooters, and you're set. And pretty much every team in the ACC has exactly that. College teams, even at the ACC level, just aren't athletic enough to maintain a good 2-3 zone over a full 40-minute basketball game. You can counter me that with, oh, we're seeing the Miami Heat do it on their NBA Finals run right now. That's the NBA. They have the athleticism to properly run it. In college, even in a league as good as the ACC, most of the players are not going to go to the NBA. Most of the players are not going to play overseas. They're not athletic enough to maintain that high-level zone defense for a full game, and eventually those shooters are going to start knocking down shots and are going to wear you down, and Ethan, when Georgia Tech puts up ninety six on your zone defense, I think it's pretty safe to say it's outdated.
1: Yeah, you want you want some quote. there's a terrific article in the Athletic by C.J. Moore the other uh, this was it came out yesterday. Just terrific stuff. Could not recommend this piece more. I'll read you some quotes for, from Jim Beheim from Adrian Autry in this. Uh, Jim Beheim said it, when he was asked about what defense he would play if he was starting a program, he said, "Quote, man to man." just too many good shooters, too many coaches that know how to attack zones. I would try to play almost 90% man, but I'd like to have a good enough zone to play 10 to 20%. And that's fair. I, and and Jim Baham, you know, said that the reason that he kept playing zone this past year was because of personnel. And I agree with that. Syracuse's personnel was not made for man-to-man defense this past year when you have Joe Girard. If you have Joe Girard playing man-to-man defense, teams are going to pick and roll and they're going to get their best offensive player on Joe Gerard and make him guard off of a switch. And that is going to happen every time. And I hope when Syracuse plays Clemson this season, Judah Mintz gets a screen from whoever onto mm-hmm. Joe Gerard and takes him one-on-one to the basket. Syracuse or, and Clemson play twice they, this year. Or the defense collapse on him, and he kicks out to a shooter for a three. That is what should happen every offensive possession for, for Syracuse. Zone, it, it will still exist. And, and Beheim, here's what I'll say. Quote, it wasn't as good because we were slow. We didn't have good team speed, but if you don't have good team speed in man to man, you're in the same boat. It wasn't, it really wasn't the zone. It was just the people in the zone and whose fault is that That's Jim Beheim's fault. And I think he would admit that because those are the players he recruited and brought into this program, but it's still a very fair explanation for why Syracuse's defense the last two years has been on Ken Palm. 185th in 2022 and 207th the year before.
0: That's terrible. That is terrible. Especially, we thought we were going to see a bit of an upgrade in that category because Syracuse brought in more athletic guys to replace the traffic cone that was Jimmy Beheim on defense. Love the guy. Hope he does great things with Beheim's Army this summer. Not a great zone defender, period. And yeah. Here you want to hear what Adrian.
1: You want to hear what Adrian Autry said about it as I would well. I'd
0: love to hear what Adrian Autry said. Adrian
1: Autry said, "Quote: When those guys are so extended because guys can shoot it so far, it just opens the court up. When they get into the middle part of your zone, you wind up playing three on three, but three on three with someone kind of coming down in rotation, so they've got a little bit of advantage." When he's referencing getting the ball to the foul line in the middle of the zone, and then you have the guards already out of the play. And uh, uh, another facet of this as well is. There's just more shooters, like you were saying. And when teams have guys that can space the floor, the examples referenced in the in in the article on The Athletic, where the 2003 National Championship game, Kansas had about one or maybe two shooters on its roster. And then in a game against Clemson this year, Clemson has four guys that shoot at over 40% from three. So it's personnel, it's ability, it's talent, and and it's a lot of different things.
0: It's a changing game too, Ethan. The three-point shot is more popular now than it ever has been. And in pickup basketball, you're going to see players just chuck up three just because it's a three-point shot. It doesn't matter if it's an efficient shot or not. And I sit here today on June 9th really hoping that the zone is not the primary defense this coming fall for Syracuse.
1: It's not be... going to be. Adrian Autry said in this article it is not going to be.
0: Okay, okay. Would I be okay seeing it? Every third look at, of,
1: right, look at what the Miami Heat are doing in the, in exactly, the playoffs. Exactly. Just throwing it out. The, I mean, your Celtics couldn't handle it to save the life of them, Liam.
0: Got it. Don't, don't remind me anything, but I would I be okay seeing it every third or fourth possession? Absolutely. It's a different look, a good way to throw off the offense a little bit.
1: And I'm sure you yeah. would agree. Yeah, I, I would agree. It, it could maybe be a little different change of pace. And Syracuse this year will have taller, more athletic guards that could potentially be be a hindrance to guys at the top of the key.
0: All right. Ethan brought up my Boston Celtics, which pained me. So enough talk about zone defense. Topic number five. Number five. We talked about how terrible Dino Baber's recruiting has been or was for the class of 2023. Well, we've seen some small wins over the past few weeks, Ethan. Adding Braden Davis, transfer out of South Carolina, a.k.a. the school of Norris Sellers decommitted you for. We also saw two defensive linemen come in earlier this week, one out of D.C. And it's these little things, Ethan, that are going to start and bring you momentum. Are they or do they have the carrying power of your typical four- or five-star recruit? Absolutely not. But they needed these, plain and simple.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at David McMorris, defensive lineman from Washington D.C., six hundred seventy-fifth overall in twenty-four-seven Sports. Tristan Graham, eight hundred ninety-first, an edge rusher, number one player in the state of Delaware. I understand Delaware is the second smallest state in the country, but it's still a good, still a good recruiting win to get because this is a defensive line over the past few years that has not had, you know, the best pass rushing. So getting guys in that could potentially make an impact is a good thing.
0: The pass rushing wasn't what stuck out to me, Ethan, when I first read about these. It was the run defense that really caught my attention because down the stretch last season, in that 1-6 finish, the run defense was the main culprit. I mean, even when Pitt did not have Izzy abana who might have been the best running back in the ACC last season, the Panthers ran all over the orange like it was a field day in elementary school. It, it was embarrassing. And – are these guys going to come in and immediately solve those issues? Absolutely not. But like we talked about with basketball earlier, in an era where roster turnover is just like that, Ethan, I know we'll have graduated by then, but at this time next year, Caleb Okachukwu, Marlo Wax, and Stefan Thompson, I would argue Syracuse's three most prominent players in the front seven for this coming season, assuming all three of them stay healthy. I wouldn't put it past them that they're all gone at this time next year.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. This is a team that needs depth. Depth has been a critical issue for this team really since twenty eighteen. And staying healthy is going to be very, very important because we've seen what has happened over the years with this over the last few years with this team. It's that starters get injured, you know, early, midway through the year, and then the guys that replace them are nowhere near their skill level, specifically in the secondary, when you've lost guys like Andre Sisco, like Troy Williams, like Afatu Melifanu, who got injured and then Garrett Williams this past year. Syracuse's secondary was nowhere near as good as it was previously without Garrett Williams on what, on an island out there on in, in the defensive backfield. So for Syracuse to be accumulating depth is really important, especially in critical positions where guys are shuffling in and out of the field like the defensive line.
0: Yeah, and I think he was overrated, but Deuce Chestnut, still a big loss. And will that affect these guys and David McMorris and Kristen Graham? Not really, but you start to b- lay the foundation for your class of twenty twenty four. This is what we're in early June. It's not really gonna really take off until the fall when we get closer to National Signing Day in December. These guys have to now. You need to rally the cavalry if you get my if you get my gist, Ethan. Start to have these guys pull in their buddies from playing paddle football over the years, if that's even a thing. High school football, how about that? So just lay the foundations. That's what you have to have to do this year, or this summer, rather. Are these guys world leaders? Absolutely not. Can they make a difference even before they get to campus?
1: Absolutely. And we'll see how Syracuse develops them. Who will be? Will Rocky Long still be Syracuse's defensive coordinator when these guys are on campus? I don't know. Do you think in his seventies? you think it's
0: possible Rocky Long is gone after one season? Uh he is seventy three. I, I know I know he, I know he's up there. I know he's up there. But we'll see.
1: I don't know. We'll,
0: we'll see. see. Any final thoughts before we say so long,
1: my friend? No, uh, just to, you know, it's an exciting time. We we constantly have our content out, you know, articles every single day of the week. So please, please, please check out TheOrangeFizz.com for everything we're posting. And glad we got Fizz 5 back and running. We'll be going every other week uh, until August for now. So so be sure to stay tuned and we'll have some new members joining the team as well. Yeah, Shout out Adam Gatkin,
0: our newest member as well. That does it for this episode of Fizz 5 with my partner Ethan Frank. I'm Liam Griffin. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.